Hey everyone, welcome to 24 Point, where we talk about the tools, techniques, and trials of designing and developing software in a digital agency. I'm Jeff Rock, co-founder of Mobilux, and today I'll be talking to our director of development, Jeremy Greenwood, about Swift UI. Is it ready to ship in your production app? Listen in and find out. I'm Jeremy Greenwood, and I'm the Director of Development here at Mobilux. Uh, when you came to work at Mobilux, you, I believe you came from the State Department. It was the Virginia Treasury. Okay. And what were you doing at the Treasury? I was the information security officer, so I basically managed the information security program for the state treasury department. Okay, what what was that day like? <laughs> um, typical government kind of clock in, um, do some stuff, and then clock out. Yeah. You know. Wow. So how'd you make a jump from that to what was called iPhone? OS development at the time. Yeah, so um, I got the original iPhone, uh, and I don't know if you remember, but uh, iOS one, you know, they weren't stoked at all about any sort of development happening, and they basically said, "Look, guys, just do web development, right? We're gonna we're gonna show you how to make make these really sweet." Web apps, mobile web apps. I was at that WWDC, the sweet deal or whatever they called it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely remember that. And so iOS 2.0 got announced and it was, it was just very interesting. It wasn't web work. Um, the first application that I developed was actually a security related application that um, it essentially, you gave it an IP address and a port range, a range of um, TCP ports. It would just go out and try to connect to each port to, uh, to, see, to see if those ports were open, right? Or closed. And it was just, just, a, just a pretty simple port scanner. But something like that is, is just not, not very possible with a web application like, like that. So, You've been through a few generations of languages and frameworks, too. I mean, when you started off, um, it was Objective-C, right? And now we're using a, a, I wouldn't say brand new, but pretty new language called Swift. So that's a big topic, right? Like, what did you like anything about Objective-C, or did you prefer some things about it versus Swift? Yeah, sure. Obje Objective C, it's it's an absolutely solid language. You know, it's it's a superset of C and C plus um, plus, and you you can do a lot of great things as as far as operating in the runtime. Um, you know, you can you can send messages to nil, right? Which is which is kind of a pretty big deal, and one of the things that set Objective C apart. Um, certainly, in a lot of ways, I miss it, you know, um, but having said that, Swift, it is a very different way of looking at it, 
looking at the problem and uh, Swift is really great in the sense that it's very modern, right? They took inspiration from Objective-C and Ruby and Haskell and Rust and the list goes on about pulling in features, all the best things that worked and all of, all of these languages that have been around for a very long time. So Swift has been around a, a little while. Um, can you do everything in Swift now or do you have to, to match some of it with Objective-C still? No, there's no time when we have to drop down to Objective-C at this point. Wow. So uh, maybe for people that aren't familiar with Swift, we should give a short history or a synopsis of what Swift is. Sure. So Swift was built by a guy named Chris Latner at Apple. Um, I believe he started working on it in about 2010, kind of... As far as, as far as I knew, kind of a skunk works um, project. He's, uh, Chris, Chris has worked on lots of great stuff like LLVM, which is basically the default compiler that almost every single language uses at this point. And so after, after he worked on that, I, I think he probably just wanted a new challenge and, and started, started to think about, um, what a new programming language would look like. Um, something that's safe and secure and that um, is more general purpose than, than say, Objective-C. And now Swift has moved on. I mean, what version of Swift are we using now? Let's see, most recently is Swift 5.3. Wow, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a lot of development and not a lot of time. Uh, so, what percentage of um, apps are, is the iOS team building in Swift now that come through the door? It's all Swift at this point. I, I think the last, the last project that we did that was Objective-C was, was actually maybe a year and a half, two years ago. That was only because it was, it was the specific project was to deliver a library, a, bi a binary, which at that point in time, Swift could not do. For, for a few very good technical reasons, they have since um, moved on. Those technical reasons are off the table. So there's no reason to not use Swift at this point. So there's a whole new level of Swift, though, that I want to talk about, which is called Swift UI. So Apple came out it two years ago and said, look, we, you've been declaring all this in, in um, what I would call the hard way for, for a long time. And now we've got a new way of declaring interface called Swift UI. Can you kind of walk us through like what Swift UI is? Swift UI is a framework, um, a user interface and layout framework that um, makes building user interfaces incredibly fast and incredibly easy. Kimball Musk approached Mobilux not that long ago because of COVID. They were, he runs a, a, a restaurant group out of Boulder, Colorado called Nextdoor Eatery. 
they came to us because they wanted to shift the model towards curbside and you know order and go and and everything that everybody's had to deal with in the restaurant industry and it seemed like a perfect time to test the theory right is swift ui faster can we write an app quicker that we are iterating on and proving concepts and shipping uh, so that entire app was written in Swift UI uh, for that purpose. How did it go? Well, initially very, very fast, very, very quick. Um, before we, we had any comps or designs, I, I threw together a basic prototype um, that uh, fetched the restaurant menu, um, displayed all the information, um, images, asynchronously loading from the network, and, and everything. I did that in less than a week yeah. for that for that initial that initial piece. Uh, we got designs. I scrapped most of it and, and moved uh, moved with the designs. Um, the the initial sprint to be feature complete only took a month, right? Yeah. And that's, that's with fetching uh, menu information, that's building, building a basket. Error handling. I mean, it was that's, a fully finished application. Yeah. yeah. Check out Apple Pay, credit cards, the whole deal. It, it took about a month. Um, it, was, it was definitely, definitely some growing pains. Um, not at all. There's definitely some growing pains, um, both on my side, but also on the framework side, SwiftUI. On my side, uh, you know, we just, we've talked about how SwiftUI is a completely different paradigm for, for how you build apps, right? And so I had to switch in, in my brain to, to just switch gears and understand how to do it, and this is how you move, move forward, right? And so, um, it's kind of like, kind of like jumping in a car that's, you know, you've been driving stick, you've been driving a manual for 10 years, you jump in a car that's, that's automatic transition, transmission, and you're trying to jam in the clutch yeah. when you stop, right? Right. Um, so, that initial that initial sprint with next door it was it was definitely times where you know no that's not how we that's not how we do it in this got to do it this way right yeah um so that was that was a challenge on my side uh, the challenges on the Swift UI side um mostly had to do with difference from what I noticed, it mostly had to do with differences of iOS and the differences between running on a simulator or running on an actual device. Um, given, given these variables, uh, you might have different behavior for certain things you're trying to do, uh, depending if you are on a simulator or a real device or if you're on iOS 13.3 at the time yeah. or iOS 13.4, right? And so, you know, I would, 
easily say that 90 to 95% of everything I did was the same across all of those all those variables, but there was there was that five to ten percent that could could behave differently depending on which which exact configuration that I was building in and, and developing in. So um, you know, I I'd, I'd build something; it would look good. You know, I'd be running it in the simulator on iOS thirteen four. I I ship a beta build run a real device on iOS 13.3 and something just would break in the most crazy way possible. And it just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of, part of the reason why that happens though is, is because Apple is continually improving SwiftUI with every single release of iOS. And so the framework is getting better Sometimes they sometimes Apple ships bugs like we all do, but the framework keeps getting better and, and fixing fixing things um, in previous versions that might not work or were not implemented completely, um, and so that can make things very challenging. Knowing what you know now, going through the exercise of of, of building a production app in Swift UI, is it ready for prime time? Um, for very, yeah, so I would say yes, but heavily predicated on the fact that your app is fairly simple, um, and doesn't, doesn't have a ton of custom behaviors and, uh, functionality. Having said that, we, we have chosen to use SwiftUI for another app moving that we're, we're currently working on. So, Is that uh, Bartaco? Bartaco. Okay, great. And, and you have to, you know, it wasn't something that, it wasn't a decision that was taken lightly, consulted with the team, you know, laid out the risks. And, you know, in the end, what it really comes down to is SwiftUI is the future. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It's... It's faster to build. It's ultimately going to be cheaper to build. Um, and it's, it's code that um, can be reused across Apple's platforms. Yeah. So we build a user interface um, and Bartaco or Kimball want to build a watch app we should very easily be able to port that over to for that exact same code to be running on a Apple Watch. Yeah, that's a huge advantage. It's a huge advantage. It might be the greatest advantage of all of it. Yeah. And it's not just a watch, you know, it's it's the Mac and and it's it's TVOS. It's Swift UI was built to be a unifying user interface um, framework that runs on all of the platforms. That's great. So iOS 14 came out not that long ago, and uh, one of the more interesting features that they, they added was something called app clips. What are app clips? So an app clip is, is essentially a bite-sized app um, that's meant to be a companion for your, your full-blown app. Um, it's specifically meant to expose a 
a very specific piece of functionality. So an example would be, maybe I pull up to the grocery store and I did curbless checkout and I roll up and I can use an app clip to tell the attendant that I'm there instead of opening the full app. Is it something kind of along those lines? Um, yes. And with the added bonus that you don't actually need the full app to have the app clip. So where does the app clip come from? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> the app clip can come from many places. Um, but the internet is where it comes from. <laughs> All right, fair, fair enough. <laughs> no. So it's hosted somewhere. Uh, so Apple has some kind of way to deliver um, that functionality to the user in, in real time. Right, but you, you, get, you get access to the app clip um, from many different ways. So you can, um, you know, in iOS maps, you know, you, you pull up to the grocery store, you zoom into the grocery store on the map, you hit, you hit the listing, it, it should pop up and, it, and it'll have a button that says, you know, I don't know what it says, but maybe, maybe it says, get, you know, check in and it yeah. launches the app clip. And so what's happening in the background is um, iOS is actually reaching out to Apple server and downloading the app clip on demand, right? Um, app clips are, have a hard limit of 10 megs, 10 megabytes each. Um, so for the most part, it's, it's very small, small, small payload. Um, then it's, it, it's just a binary, just like, just like an app. So it runs it's just on, on, demand. on your phone. It's, yeah, just, it's, just... it's just an on-demand binary. Um, but like I said, the great thing is you don't actually need the, the full blown app. You could, you could be at home ordering on, on your Mac in a, in a web browser, put the order in through that then take advantage of this, this native functionality once you get there. So if you're writing, if you're, if you have a service app right now, like you should absolutely be implementing app clips. hundred percent. Yeah. If nothing else for an I'm here button. Yeah. And in, in, yeah. In maps app or wherever else it pops up. Yeah. So service industry has kind of been turned upside down right now. Um, and this is one of those ways that, that things could be a little, little easier for both the, the customer um, and the company to deal with. That's right. And the app clip, the app clips can basically do anything that the full-blown app can do. There's, there's some, of course, some limitations, um, but you can, you can set up an account with, sign in with Apple. You can, you can pay with, with Apple Pay right through the app clips. So let's talk about travel and talk about adventure a little bit because I've known a lot of developers in my life. I don't think I've ever met a developer that would go do like a Spartan run and ultra marathon and go out off grid for a week in the country. So uh, maybe the question is, this work is very internet centric. It's very online. It's very sedentary. You sit in front of a desk, you do the work, right? Um, but then you have this other side of you 
So are they, is there a correlation between being online and sitting at a desk and then being off, literally offline and going out into the woods for a week? Um, I'm just interested to hear the two sides of that personality. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? <laughs> um, well, I don't know if you remember way back when Jason and I used to used to go hiking. And every time you'd invite me, and every time I wouldn't go because I'm not a not a camper. I I definitely remember it though. Well, not only that, but at the time, I think we were the only two developers in the company. <laughs> that might also be correct. And so there was there was some concern, um, you know, if there was a bear attack, for example. No, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, it's it, the different side for me has has to do with um, like I. It has to do with uh, building out a, a project or a product, right? Um, you know, the, there's this, this huge process involved with building software, which is um, contracts and uh, feature specification requirements and design and development and testing and all this stuff goes in, goes into the project and you know, when you're finally ready to ship, it's like an amazing moment, right? I remember when we shipped one point over Elixir, we war roomed the, the release, right? We had the web developers, um, mobile developers on both, both platforms, iOS and Android, and we went through everything and tested it and made bug fixes on the fly, you know. Yeah. We, we caught it done, we wrapped it up, and we shipped it for review, right, for the App Store review. Yeah, yeah. And when it shipped, it was a big celebration. Yeah. And so the way that that relates to uh, the races and the running and the five-day, 250-mile races, it has to do with the process of actually getting to the race, right? doing the training, putting the time in, um, analyzing the results, making tweaks, making adjustments, to the point where you're you're finally ready to race, hopefully ready to race. You've done everything leading up to the race correctly, then you're quote unquote ready. And so the the race is kind of like the release of, of the software process in a lot of ways. That's very interesting. Um, and it's, it's also really nice, like you said, connected, internet-driven, building software um, for devices basically every day. Sometimes it's nice to just flip the switch and just think about other things, right? And a lot of a lot of times for the more extreme endurance based stuff, those other things are just basic necessities, right? Like, you know, are my feet dry? Is the is is the blister that's forming on my feet gonna cause a problem in thirty miles? 
Do I need to do I need to address that now? All the way to the to the point of I need to eat something, I need to drink something, I need to sleep, right? Boiling down these basic necessities. And so it's nice, it's it's a nice change of pace to like all the way this this big funnel of information and technology just boil down to the three basic necessities. Eating, sleeping, and drinking. Yeah. Um and it's very interesting to think about. I, I often refer to software as an organism, right? It's, it's a living, breathing thing that you have to keep alive. You've got to feed it. You have to take care of it. it they don't, you can't just make something and expect it to, to live on forever, right? So it's interesting to hear you say that. It seems like maybe one is informing the other. Like you're, you're, you're figuring out a better way to write um, applications and software by putting your body through like this rigorous test, right? You're almost debugging um, your body <laughs> to figure out how to do better and perform better. But those lessons are coming back to development. That's, that's completely true. And it's, it's not just lessons in terms of um, methodologies and um, applying one to the other, but... Uh, you know, when you're out, when you're out training, uh, running, riding a bike, whatever, whatever training you're doing, and um, you just get into a zone where your your brain just starts to go out and do different things, somewhat involuntarily. And so, I can't tell you how many times the most complex problem was solved while I was just out on a long run, huh. right? And it's not you know it's not intentional but and it's not even on a work day it would just just a problem would just pop in oh this is a better way to do it and come monday i'm gonna go on ahead and do that thing that i that i thought about out of nowhere wow so the other nice thing about those trips is that there's breweries on the way and sometimes at the destination right um, and I think me and you are, are, well, that's maybe not true, but we're among some of the, the people that, that love a good beer uh, more than others, right? So um, I kind of wanted to ask you, like, in all these places, in these breweries you've been, like, what your, your favorite beer has been out there? Let's see. So... The races that I really enjoy doing are, are in Vermont, which um, I think most most people in the industry might agree that uh, there was a specific beer that kicked it all off, and that was the Heady Topper from The Alchemist. Um, that's a great beer. Uh, however, um, the beer that is hands down my favorite is called Prospect from the Foley Brothers in Vermont, Foley Brothers Brewery. Um, my buddy Chris, who is a, who lives in Vermont, uh, gave me a four pack on one of our on one of my visits for a race, and it was just great. So there's a correlation here, I think, with beer and development and races. So. Um, in the 80s, there was 
Uh, it was called the Balmer Peak. Are you familiar with this? Never heard of it. You've never heard of this. So Steve Ballmer at, at Microsoft, he noticed that after engineers had had a few beers, there was like this intense spike in like developer intelligence and productivity that he could, that people were solving problems they couldn't solve after they have uh, just this certain amount of beer. And they would chase this thing called the Balmer Peak. And they figured out the ABV was between 0.129 and 0.138. And if you kept someone there, they would be like superhuman at, at like programming. So beer and development like clearly go together. Do you ever experience that? Have you ever felt like when you had a beer, half a beer, it was just at the right point where like you were like flying through the problem when you were programming? Absolutely. Isn't it weird? It's real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember way back, way back in the day when we were in the Manchester and Legend was a block away. We go there quite frequently for lunch. Um, and I believe I experienced the Bomber Peak after lunch where I just banged out code for this, the most horrendous settings view with switches and <laughs> yeah. buttons and table view or uh, text view entry all over it. And it was, it was just a file, you know, a huge file of, of code that just sat down and just, it's like- Just cranked it out. I, I just saw it and just did it. Yeah, I think it's a real thing. and. The downside to it is after the Balmer Peak is basically a nap. Bedtime. Yeah, you can't, you can't keep it up. I remember we used to watch keynotes, Apple keynotes at the, at the lunch table and, and we like get the beers out and like celebrate and then we're East Coast so those would end at like what? One, two, one o'clock like, and then everyone was just worthless. Yeah for the rest of the day. You might as well just go home. There's no way to do it, but yeah. I know you're a contributor to Ray Winderlich and uh, that's a great resource. Like I don't know anybody that hasn't ended up on that website, like solving a tough problem. It's got great content. Um, are there other places that you would recommend uh, checking out if you were just getting started in iOS development? Sure. So. Apple has great documentation. Uh, they, they've got a book, a Swift book, that's available on iBooks, and it's, it's pretty much mirrored on, on the website. Um, but it, it, goes, it goes through exactly how, how to you know, do conditionals, go through for loops, what's, what's a var, what's a let, what's an optional, all this, all this stuff that Swift is based upon. Um, so the documentation, I think, is, is the first place to go to just kind of whet your appetite. After that, look, look for local meetups. It's a bit tough right now, but a lot, a lot, of, a lot of places are, are starting to get back together. And the real benefit, actually, is um, a lot of local, quote-unquote, meetups have, have gone virtual like everything else. So, um, you know, I've, I've attended, attended some... Uh, meetups from Germany, for example, um, which would normally be inaccessible to me. So meetups are great. Um, 
in the same vein, conferences are starting to are starting to quasi open up and at least doing uh, virtual streams for all of all of their content. And there's there's tons of great resources uh, for Swift um, to to learn. Uh, of course, there's RayWinterlick.com. Um, some of my favorite podcasters are folks like Johnson Dell podcast. Um, there's Paul Hudson, HackingWithSwift.com. That's that's pretty great for for content. And um, yeah, it's it's really easy to get started. Great. Well, thanks for hanging out today. This has been 24 Point, a Mobilux podcast. If there's a topic you'd like to hear us cover in a future episode, email us at comments at mobilux.com. And if you'd like to hear about future episodes, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts or sign up for our newsletter at mobilux.com. Thanks for listening.